Once upon a time, in a land far away, I'm Katrina, and I'm Jeff, and welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat while we retell you a thing. Welcome back to the Fairy Tellers Podcast, a very special episode. Our 100 episode special. Oh my gosh! 100th episode. This is very, very cool. It is a super impressive milestone, and we're very impressed with ourselves. If we do say ourselves. (laughs) I am truly impressed with us that we've been doing this, just because, like, I don't know if I've let on this about my personality or not. I'm a person that sometimes I get super, super interested in, like, one thing, and then all of a sudden I'll be like, oh, I'm done doing it after, Mm -hmm. like, a certain amount of time, (laughs) and just, like, start, like, walking away from it. And so... When we started this podcast, I very much was like, well, but what if I do it for like three months and then I just don't want to do it anymore and we stop doing it? And I can't remember who I was talking to about this, like early back in the beginning days of doing it. And they were like, oh, well, but like if you just do it for like two or three months and then you just decide not to do it anymore, like who cares? Mm -hmm. Like, who are you embarrassed about that the 20 people who listen to the podcast know that you stop making the podcast episodes like yeah why would you they're like just go for it just do it i mean it could be fun just do it do you think you have enough like material to do like 20 episodes or something i'm like i yeah like i think there's like enough stuff that i could make and they're like then just go like try to make like 20 episodes and if you hate it you can quit anytime nobody cares and i was like oh my gosh you're right we should and now now look at us jeff 100 episodes who would have imagined we'd be here not me Not me, not for real, not me, but I'm glad we are because I was the same way. And I think going into it was like, you know, we had a conversation, you and I similar. I don't know if I'm the person that you're thinking of when we're telling that story, but it was like, it's like we record however many episodes we feel like. And then, you know, like if we don't want to stop doing it, then we can stop doing it. Whatever. It's our thing. I didn't imagine that we would have, again, anyone really listening to care. Like I do feel like at this point, if we stopped doing the podcast, there are people out there that would notice and they would care, which feels really nice, you know, and it doesn't feel like an obligation or anything, but it does help me want to continue doing it beyond just my own personal enjoyment, which is the main reason why I still do it, you know, like that that it's just enjoyable. Yeah. To get on here, to talk to you, to hear about like weird folklores and fairy tales and all sorts of things from around the world, learn about new cultures, like fantastic. No, we've been able to do like deep dives into like different series. I just like thought for the hundredth episode, don't worry, people. Absolutely. We have a tale. But also like I thought we'd just like talk about some of like the cool things that we've talked about, like on the podcast in the past couple of years, because it's like or like one of the most enjoyable things for me was like the year that we did the thousand and one nights. Yeah, it's that was was like two years ago. That does not seem like it was two years ago. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah, all during 2021. Yeah, that was cool to me because I remember for some reason, I'm sure I told this back when we were doing it, but like when I was like in middle school, high school, I just randomly came across this really old book. And it was like, we, we in my house, we owned it, but it was like the oldest looking book that I could find in my entire house. I was like, what is this? And it happened to be 
a copy of like, I think it was called Arabian Nights Entertainments or whatever, like 1912 (laughs) or something like that. And so like I started reading that thinking like, oh, this is really cool. I'm reading this like really old book. And it's like the stories in there are way older than 1912 and way older than the book looked. And then also being like just really surprised how cool and fun the stories were. And so, yeah, getting to like re-explore that and then like hear more about, you know, how that those that collection actually came to be and hearing about some of the interesting stories and like the sometimes like real life people behind some of the yeah uh, like tales and things and those connections like it's just fascinating one thing that i think is absolutely crazy is a lot of people thought that when we were starting out that we would be doing just a ton of grimm's fairy tales mm-hmm. and that it'd be like well, like, how many interesting episodes do you think you can get out of, like, the Grimm's Brothers episode, or out of the Grimm's Brothers stories? And I was like, I mean, in the volume, there's, like, 212, something like that, <laughs> stories. And so, like, that's that would be a lot. Like, that's a lot of, yeah. like, potential, like, starting points for episodes and stuff. But when I think back, it, of the 100 episodes that we have done, I think that we have told about 10 <laughs> Yeah. Grimm's Brothers fairy tales. And even that sounds high because that would be like 10% of the podcast episodes. Uh-huh. And I really feel like, man, the times when they do come up, they're more likely to come up in an episode where I'm like, oh, and by the way, there's a, a tale type of this. It's also in the Grimm's Brothers, but who cares? Right. It's not the one that we're doing. That's something that was surprising to me was how many tales from countries and cultures that I would not I guess doing it from countries and cultures I would not have expected. Like yeah. Nepal. Nepal, and like, yeah. You know, just lots of those. Like I expected, obviously, like Europe, whatever, you know, like. But even within that, like uh, Italy, like Jean-Baptiste Basile, like I did not know anything about. Oh, yeah. Like those tales at all. And it's like I would not have imagined that we were doing them. So I've just been so surprised how many different like cultures and countries and areas of the world that we've been able to get stories from and discuss and like be able to like find things that are deeply, deeply relatable to us as, you know, like just human beings and then yeah. also similarities to other tales that we do know and things that are absolutely not familiar to us that we get to learn from. It's like, yeah, I would not have been able to predict that from the beginning of the podcast. I definitely did think it would be more like, you know, the Disney titled fairy tales yeah. and those versions that we would be doing and know like a lot more of that than we have, which we have done plenty of that. Yeah. And even within that, I've had, there's been so many surprising things like the Snow White series. There were so many interesting crazy tales that came up no because it's like interesting and crazy tales that came up like that were related to snow white but then also that like the snow white story that is recorded is not the story that you think it is i mean like for instance that it was like and then they dropped the coffin and like Uh like the the (laughs) apple popped out and it's like wait what (laughs) like this that's how the apple got dislodged it's like yep (laughs) not the story that you would expect and there's a lot of individual episodes too that stand out to me which i'm thinking of this now just because one of them was in this snow white series but like the gold tree and silver tree is one that was just like super surprising with yeah just like the twist on the snow white tail type that it was and just like i don't know just Really interesting. Another one that I think of, we bring this up all the time, but it's like lodged in my brain and will never escape. But the death in a nut story. Oh, yes. Like I think about that all the time. And that is probably one of, if not my absolute top favorite episode that we have ever done. Just yeah. because of the story was amazing, super fun, super funny, but also like deeply touching 
Yeah. You know, in a story about grief and the fact that it's like the story about like grief and death and like grieving the death of loved ones and not wanting loved ones to die and all that. Yeah. Like could be so funny and so touching at the same time was just like amazing. And I don't know why this is not a story that has been turned into like a Pixar movie or like yeah. something like that because it's just so great. And I think it's something that's so important that lots of people should, you know, that people need to hear. Yeah. You know? And what's interesting is like in this last year on our like Spotify wrapped. That episode, even though obviously that was an early, I think in like the first year, really early, really yeah. early in like the podcast, like we did that story. But I always feel like it's more recent than it is because I know, that's how like because fresh I think, it sticks I think with me. about it. Yeah, like there are episodes we recorded like a month and a half ago that I don't remember like anything about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I still remember Death in a Nut, so it always seems really recent. But to like, me. like Death in a Nut was our most shared episode in like the last year, which oh, wow. I'm, I'm like, that's incredible because it's not a re- it's not a recent episode that we did, but it's one that like sticks with a lot of people. Other things that I've really enjoyed are kind of like other like kind of one-off episodes that are based on a current thing that's happening mm-hmm. because like, I was just thinking about when the Weller man was yeah. like a really popular That's what song, came to mind when you like said that. Like on TikTok, yeah. And like just doing that episode on like sea shanties and learning more too about like, I learned more about mercenaries than I ever think <laughs> I learned in a history class. <laughs> Which one of the like fa- fascinating factoids that like sticks in my mind is that they there were like specific monetary advantages to being like the first person to board a different boat. Yeah. If you captured it, after you captured it, if you were the first person to get onto the other ship, there was like a bonus that was possible for you to get, which suddenly made it make so much sense. All the videos of, you know, like of yeah, pirate like movies and stuff. Like swinging onto the next Yeah, swinging ship. on as fast as possible because if they were the first person on, they would get like an automatic bonus upon ship takeover. And so they're like, I want to get out there. Not to mention, I thought it was super fascinating that like there was also all of these kind of like insurance policies. If they prices per like limb and like eye, like you lose an eye, you get this. You lose a limb, you get this. And if they died, then all of the this their salary plus their death bonus would go to their family. And so there was like like for mercenaries, there was this like very kind of advanced for its time system of like insurance. Yeah, and so like. As a business opportunity, like as a job, it was like actually like a pretty, there were a lot of like bonuses and advantages to being a mercenary. And I didn't realize that it was, it was funny because in the episode we talked about that, like George Washington had his feelings about mercenaries, which was that they were rough and tumble. They weren't disciplined. He was a military man. He thought they were like undisciplined, were so awful Thomas Jefferson, I think it was he was the one that found like the utility in them that he was like, you know what, but they're helping us fight the British. So they're useful. They're doing a lot of good. And then Benjamin Franklin was like, I'm going to finance. He's like, I'm going to finance my own mercenary ships. He's like, there's money in this, guys. (laughs) And I was Uh, like, typical. That sounds right. Yeah. You know, Katrina, if you've listened to this podcast, you know, does not have a, a very high opinion of Benjamin Franklin. Um, oh, and but, I'm like, and a lot of that is in in a bonus episode that is on like our Patreon. My like some of my beef goes back <laughs> to uh, the Jersey Devil. Oh, that's right. Me, yeah. Benjamin I, Franklin, the Jersey Devil. Like we go way back. <laughs> yeah, I you know hearing about how pro mercenary Benjamin Franklin was like that just delighted me, and I like liked him more than I ever had. 
and look at every $100 bill with just a little more fondness ever <laughs> since I heard that story. I also think about the classic books and stories that we've read for the podcast, Sir Gowan and the Green Knight, because like that movie had come out, yeah. uh, the Green Knight had come out. And so like, you know, people were talking about it. There was some like buzz about it. And I think Jeff had gone to see it and was like wondering about it. And so we read the translation by J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah. And then like retold the tale. And like, oh, it was so like, it's so gorgeously written and just really interesting to look at courtly love and what it takes to be considered like a good moral person. Like it was just like, it was a complex story, like thematically wise. Mm -hmm. It was like really rich language. And just, I don't know, the, the fact that the podcast like allowed an avenue to explore that and then talk about it was like awesome. Oh, yeah. I'm hoping, you know, more more King Arthur eventually like down the road for the podcast. That's definitely that's one where I know that I'm going to need a lot of time for like research and stuff. Yeah. And so I don't want to rush King Arthur stuff. But Sir Gowan and the Green Knight, like. Uh, again, I always on this podcast encourage people to like go look up the classics, read them. It is like so it's so worth it. I don't I'm a nerd, obviously, yeah. for like well, talking translation of Sir Gowan and the Green Knight is like so beautiful. So, so like well done. Love it. Unrelated, but another one that is like keeps coming back a surprising amount and has lodged itself firmly in my brain is the African Dilemma Tales episode oh my gosh yeah just and, and like talking about the concepts of how stories i recently heard somebody say and i i wish i knew who to quote because i'm pretty sure it's like a probably like a famous and important person who said it that it was like good stories don't give simple answers they encourage complex dialogue mm. and I think about that with like the African dilemma tales where like that is it where it was like the stories itself were purposely designed not to give easy answers, but to encourage complex dialogue that yeah. it was like stories that had a system in place where people could all get together with a, like a leader that was leading the discussion, a wise person of the community who was leading a discussion saying, Hey, if we were, if we had this complex problem, what do people think? What are your values? What are your morals? Like, what say you? And it wasn't a simple like, well, obviously this person, it's like, no, explain your answer. Talk it out with the group so that they understand your thinking on this. And I mean, then the bummer of that too is the fact that the stories themselves were recorded down, but the dialogue, because it yeah. wasn't the story, w the dialogue around the tale wasn't recorded. And that I'm like, oh no, we're missing like all of this like other information uh, because of that. But yeah, just, just seeing how people have used stories to start conversations. Yeah, and it's so interesting in contrast to something like Aesop's Fables, which we've told a lot of on our yeah. <laughs> podcast, which are delightful in their own way too. But it's like, it, you know, stands in stark contrast to that where it's like we're used to especially in, in you know our Western American culture having like, especially tales for children, which people think fairy tales and folk tales are for children more, you know, like than they probably should, even though they are definitely for children. But, you know, it's like we think of those as having like, oh, what's the moral? What's like this, the point? Yeah. Why are we telling? What's the lesson that this teaches? 
which I think that is important too. And it's like very helpful. My wife discovered a great uh, tool of talking to our children about things where she will tell a story about something, a story that she makes up based Mm -hmm. on some of the more unfortunate events that had occurred in our own uh, household that day, (laughs) you know, to like teach a lesson to our children about something like through telling a story and they like get it more than like being lectured about something that, you know, they did wrong or whatever. But with the African Dilemma Tales, it really is like, you know, there is no moral. The the point is to leave it at a place where this discussion takes place. And it makes you think more than just like, uh, there's something about like leaving that loop open. Yeah. Like it's frustrating in like the most delightful way. Yeah. Especially when you have someone that you can talk to about it, like me and you, we could talk. Be, those would probably be really frustrating to uh, just read on your own almost. Yeah, yeah it would be. Because... It's like with Aesop fables, you know, you have you have an ender, you have a moral, and there might be some discussion about like, oh, what do you guys think about the moral or what can we learn from this story or whatever. But with African dilemma tales where it's like left open this like, and who do you think deserves the prize? And you've got these three people who've contributed and now you have to decide like who contributed more. Like you, the audience, need to end the story. How would you end it? And yeah. I'm like, it, it's just like fascinating. Yeah. And even just thinking back to that, I'm like, you know, there's not an obvious answer. But the funny thing about that is like to some people that are different than me and think differently than me, there would be an obvious answer. Yeah. And they would say that to someone else, there would be an obvious answer. And it was the complete like opposite of what that person thought. And it really brings out those people's values. And it's a way to bring, like you said, values to the forefront that we can discuss and see it's like how those values are all good and have their place, you know, but how sometimes they come in conflict with each other. I don't know. It's just like, uh, I, I just love it. And it's, we've gotten a lot of really good feedback on that episode yeah. as well. Like teachers are using it to like teach high school students, which, you know, like I think African dilemma tales, it's a great thing to do to teach your high school students. They've talked about even using our podcast to teach. It's like, I don't know if I would use our podcast on <laughs> impressionable young minds, but you know, that's a value, a value call that you can bring uh, up to yourself. Maybe we can have a complex discussion uh, in the comments about it. Uh, what do you think? Uh, listeners, are we appropriate for our high school children and their developing minds? But yeah. Delightful. African Dilemma Tales. Love it. So I would actually be interested to know if if people want to contact us. Uh, I don't know, on our Instagram or I have no, I don't know. Like what, yeah, what have been some of your favorite episodes? What has, which episodes have like jumped out at you been the most, I don't know, informative, interesting? For me, speaking of stories having like morals and stuff tagged onto the end of it. I remember doing the like Bluebeard episode and being so frustrated at uh, Charles Peral, him being like, so thus we see that women who are curious are awful and you shouldn't be curious <laughs> and us being like, Ugh. but then Fitcher's bird Fitcher's bird absolutely is a tale where I am like, that needs to be out there more. When people talk about how like, oh, modern day stories that try to like force these like really feminist princesses on us and stuff like that. And I'm like, no, 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 no. These ladies have always existed. I go back to Fitcher's bird, which we used as like the, it was like the, not the opposite of Bluebeard, but it's, it's the same kind of tale type. Except that instead of brothers coming to save the day, this lady tricks this magician dude into taking her sisters back home after she like 
I was going to say remembered, but I was like, she, her sisters got dismembered and then she like put them back together. Yeah. But remembered is not. <laughs> <laughs> it's a word that means uh, like something completely different <laughs> yeah, than the way that you're trying like, to use it. But I'm like, she membered them. She put her like sisters back <laughs> together and then had the guy like basically like carry all of them back or have them like brought back. And then she uh, made a dummy of herself and the guy ended up like, I think dying in a fiery tower. And I love that for him. Uh, (laughs) 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 But it was like, like that story is one that's in like the Grimm's brothers collection where I'm like, Oh, these are the tales that need to be made into movies for like more people to see because it is like, yes. These like awesome princesses. Bookending that how we came in, it reminded me too of, again, Thousand and One Nights. And one of the surprising and interesting things about that was, again, the kind of like actually sort of feminist bent to the whole thing about what Scheherazade is doing in the Mm -hmm. frame story being to like tell this king all these stories about lots of different people, including lots of different women who do good things, who do bad things, who are all, you know, over the spectrum from, you know, good to bad to neutral and whatever as a way to show this guy like, hey, women, not all women are bad. Women are just yeah. people. And so as a result, they're going to be good, bad. They're going to do good things. They're going to do bad yeah. things. And and that's how it is. It's like that was something that surprised yeah. me uh, about that collection that like seeing that in the frame story and then seeing how that actually really does play out in so many of the stories as well. I was like, oh, that's just awesome. Like how often the stories were about our viziers all good? No. Are they all bad? No. Okay. Let's look at women. Are women all going to cheat on you, dude? No. Despite your personal experience so far. (laughs) You know, despite your (laughs) personal, that doesn't mean that, all women need to be murdered because one woman cheated on you. Hashtag not all women. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Like, just that I, I think one thing that, like, we keep seeing in the podcast, especially when we revisit, like, tales that we think that we know, there are so many, like, either tales that diverge from how we've been told them or how they've changed over time so that where we encountered them is not where, you know, they, I was going to say originated, (laughs) even though we all know, yeah, no original tales. And that, that is the thing that we want to keep emphasizing still. Uh, Speaking of beginning where we started, beginning where it started. Brilliant segue. No, it wasn't because it was like sounded insane. <laughs> right, beginning where we started. That's beginning actually beginning where we started. That's like that's, that, that, it, it's one of those things that sounds really deep in the moment sometimes, <laughs> but you're actually like, actually, that's just how beginnings work. That's how beginnings. <laughs> but yeah, speaking of going back to where we started, our first episode, you know, not including the like introductory episode uh, for the podcast, but our first story episode, we talked about Cinderella. Yeah. And I do recall an absolutely bonkers story of Cinderella. Again, Jean-Baptiste Basile starting off strong with some extreme violence that was surprisingly delightful. What was it? Like uh, Zoza or something? Our our Cinderella cat? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. One of my favorite memories was when I went to like a podcasting conference when we'd only been podcasting for, I think, like five, five or six months. 
and different people at the conference. You know, we were talking about different podcasts that we had done. Oh man, this was right before the, this was February, 2020, right before everything got shut down. So everybody there was, you know, introducing themselves, telling other people about their podcast and what they're, what they cover, what they talk about and stuff. And this one lady, you know, I had told her about, oh, you know, folk tales, fairy tales, and like the origins of the like cultural backs of that, you know, stuff like that. And she was like, okay, that sounds like cool. That sounds cool. And the next day at like lunchtime, she like rushed up to me and she was like, oh my gosh, Cinderella cut off her stepmother's head. (laughs) And I was like, yes. Oh my gosh. Uh, Did you enjoy it? She's like, I love that episode. I had no (laughs) idea. Like, Like I'd never heard that story before. And I was like, yeah, I mean, most people, unless they like dive into Cinderella tales or whatever, like they're not going to like encounter some of the some of the weird ones. <laughs> and they think, oh, I already know the story of Cinderella because they know Disney's Cinderella that was almost, you know, plot point for plot point from Charles Perrault. Mm-hmm. And and they know all of the reimaginings based off of that tale and that story. And so they think, oh, I know Cinderella because I've seen a lot of variations that are modern variations of it. So I already know this story. Variations on modern variations varying on one version. On one version. Yeah. And so, like, of course you didn't know that there was a story where, like, Cinderella, uh, (laughs) like, decapitates her her first stepmother. She wasn't as lucky for a while with that second one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. And yeah, if you want to hear that whole story, um, it's it's uh, episode two of the podcast, if you want to go listen. But we've done several uh, Cinderella episodes throughout the years to kind of like illustrate the the fact that this tale is found in lots of different places in lots of different ways. And this year, this is our fourth anniversary, 100th episode celebration. And I thought I was going to, I thought we'd do something slightly different because I'm going to be telling a Cinderella Snow White tale from India. Super appropriate for this year in particular. That's what I was thinking. I was like, this would be super cool. So what's interesting are that the parts about it that that are a Cinderella tale is are the parts that we in past Cinderella tales have said is the least important part (laughs) of what makes a Cinderella tale a Cinderella tale. Uh It's the shoes. The shoes are the element that like a lot of people like think of when they think of Cinderella tales. They're like, oh yeah, it's like the the shoe. Fitting the shoe on the foot. On the foot. And like, that's the main part of the story. And it's like, no, Cinderella tales... That's not the main part. The main part is like, you know, this persecuted heroine usually having to prove through some type of like contest or whatever through different types of trials that she can then go to this like party, whether that's like picking, sorting seeds, like bringing water to the house with a sieve, you know, stuff like that. And then a focus on her good attributes are rewarded by the fates, whether it's fairies or godmothers or whatever. Magic cows. Yeah. And then she gets identified through the use of 
an object and it doesn't have to be a shoe, but she is then identified by a prince through some object that it's her. And then they, you know, rags to riches story. She went from being this person who was like persecuted and harmed by family members to now being wealthy and like a princess. So this story. And sometimes the people that were being mean to her get what they deserve and have their eyes plucked out by talking birds. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Retribution. We love to see it. So often missing for many of these Cinderella stories, though, unfortunately. (laughs) Wow, I love that. Like, Jeff, you're like going down and saying, Cinderella tales, not as much retribution as I was like. (laughs) I stand by that. I'm a person that really embraces like reconciliation, reconstruction, Mm. reconciliation. But, you know, you're hardcore retribution and, you know, we're all different. Yeah. Listen, in real life, I'm with you on reconciliation, (laughs) repentance, you know, a good redemption arc, all about it in real life. But in fiction. And what is that called? Restorative justice. Yes. Yeah. yeah, no. What's funny is like sometimes I, I forget that I, I know you really well. And so I know that like you are a person that's very much about restorative justice, about like it's better to bring somebody into good standing with the community through like rebuilding. <laughs> and instead I'm like, let me joke about like, oh yeah, Jeff loves retribution. He wants to see people dance in shoes that are heated up iron. <laughs> And you're like, no, I don't. Meanwhile, I make that joke, but everybody who listens to the podcast knows that you're the person that like does not want children to be maimed in the story, doesn't want to see animals harmed. Nobody should be engaging in cannibalism. Optimistically or otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) Optimistic cannibalism. So yeah, the most important thing in the tale has not historically been uh, shoes, but I figured that all of you would be fine with letting me get away with the tale this time. That it's a little bit Cinderella, a lot of it Snow White, and, and very interesting. So I got this story from the collection of Sleeping Beauty Tales. I think it's called Sleeping Beauties. Sleeping Beauty and Snow White Tales from Around the World, put out by Sir Laloon Fairy Tales by Heidi Ann Harner. So if people want to look that up, we've used it. I think we used this book one time during the during our Snow White series with Snow White Tales from Africa. I think we had used one during the the Magic Mirrors and Divination episode. Mm-hmm. When we were talking about uh, tales that like included like the moon and stuff. When I was doing the research for the Snow White series and I read this story uh, in the header for it, it had said, overall, this tale bears a strong resemblance to a more popular tale, Cinderella. And then I like read through the tale I was like, oh my gosh, this is the episode that we are going to use for our 100th like anniversary because like absolutely if it's got to be Cinderella and we've been doing Snow White all year, I'm definitely going to take a story that takes the two and use it for our special. So Beautiful. So this story is reprinted from a book called Hindu Fairy Tales by Mary Frere, and it was published in 1868. So, 
A long time ago, there was a Raja and a Rani. So that's like the queen. Uh, Never heard of a Rani before. And I, oh, I'm glad I have now. Learning new things. <laughs> on this podcast? On this podcast. Never. And the two of them, the Raja and the Rani, they only had one daughter, but she was the most beautiful princess in the world. Mm-hmm. Of course. Sounds about and right. And as always, I love hearing the descriptions of how they describe beauty. So that her face was as fair and delicate as the clear moonlight. And they called her Sodewa Bay, the Lady Good Fortune. Love that coincidentally, Bay is a part of that. She is Bay. <laughs> so when she was born, she was born with a golden necklace around her neck, which is an appropriate place for a necklace to be. But also, people aren't normally born with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people aren't normally born with jewelry. And so apparently her parents were like a little like, huh, that's interesting. And so they <laughs> called a lot of like astrologers to, uh, you know, decipher what what that like, could what mean. What does this mean? What is this? And so these like astrologers, wise men, spiritual people told them that the gold necklace around her neck contained her soul and it had to be guarded at all times because if it was taken off, her soul would leave her body and she would oh, die. Seems like kind of a vulnerable place to keep your soul. Yeah, for real. I mean, our bodies are mortal <laughs> flesh bags and they're very easily destroyed. So also a That's very precarious true. place to keep your soul. That's true. I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Necklace you could put in a safe deposit box somewhere. Yeah, everybody, please keep your soul inside your meaty flesh bags. <laughs> this is a life advice podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so her parents were informed that what they needed to do was to make sure that the necklace always stayed fastened tightly, like around her neck, you know, obviously not so tightly. <laughs> <laughs> As to... <laughs> Cause her mortal flesh bag to expire. <laughs> yes, indeed. That would also be a problem. And when she was old enough to instruct her to like, you know, never take off um, her gold necklace. So once they got that kind of settled, it was time for them to like also invite all of the wise men of the kingdom to come and like give their blessings to this little girl. And she was blessed that whenever she opened her lips to speak, pearls and precious stones would fall upon the ground. Hmm. Which, interestingly, this is an element of the Cinderella tales that we've told in the past of, oh, there was, there's a version of this tale that is in, I want to say, like Charles Perrault's collection of tales it's called like there's like it's diamonds and toads where like mm -hmm. yeah yeah like the diamonds fall out of the one girl's mouth and then the toads fall out of the others yeah and then we had told a tie tale like at one time too where it was a similar thing where it was like gold golden flowers came out of like uh this one girl's mouth every time she would speak but anyway so this is i'm like this is an element that we're familiar with from cinderella tales so she was blessed that every time she would speak, pearls and precious stones would fall upon the ground. And her father soon became the richest Raja in the whole area, the whole land, because, you know, he had his daughter that it said every time she spoke, 
he would have enough precious stones for a dowry, which is a lot. And so he had decided that because his daughter was like so wonderful, so blessed, that he was not going to just assign her to marry somebody. That he had decided that it was always going to be her choice who she would get to marry. Which, I mean, in the realm of fairy tales, very... Progressive? Progressive. But also... In the world we live in, kind of like a bare minimum, like assumption. It's like that someone will get to choose the person that they're going to marry themselves. What I thought was funny about it was he was like, oh, you know what? This daughter that like a bunch of like gold and precious things falls out of her mouth when she talks. I'm not going to be in a hurry to marry her off. To <laughs> else. Uh, suspiciously convenient yeah, for I was you. Like, oh, okay. But it's That's fine funny. because he was like, you know, whenever, whenever she wants to get married and whoever she wants to get married to, I'm going to let it be her choice, which you know what? I just, I've got to appreciate that. And so as the story continues, the, the princess is 14 years old and she's not yet married, which I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> Of course. But I mean, what is particular about that is not that like very young marriage was like common. It's that in royalty, like when there's wealth, usually they have somebody that they are. Um, yeah, like betrothed to. Betrothed or to. Yeah, that it, you've already figured out how you can marry them to somebody that's going to help you out, that it's for logistical reasons. And there had been a lot of rajas and nobles, even very, very wealthy ones who had wanted to marry her, but she had always refused them. And I'm like, yeah, because she's 14. So Sodua Bey's father, on her next birthday, gave her a lovely pair of slippers, and they were made out of the finest gold and jewels. I'm like, were they gold and jewels that had come out of her mouth? Or... (laughs) (laughs) It's a good question. Yeah, that's resourceful. I made you shoes out of the stuff that came out of your mouth. (laughs) Which for most of us would be like an absolutely disgusting pair of shoes. But for her, it it worked. I do also like how, because when I typically would have thought of the Cinderella tale before, when you talk about the shoes, it would be like glass slippers. Yeah. But, But way more commonly, really, and even in, well, like some of the more famous ones, like I guess it's the Brothers Grimm or whatever. But, you know, it's like it's gold and silver and like stuff like that rather than, than glass. Than glass, yeah. And this one is the same. Gold and jewels, which are shiny like glass, but much better. Indeed. So they were very like costly, expensive, fine shoes. And there were none like them in all the world. Because I'm like, of course. Very most beautiful woman marrying the most beautiful shoes. It all fits. And so do Bay, she prized these slippers and she would wear them everywhere she went. And they were very good at protecting her feet from any stones. And she was often going out with like her ladies in waiting and going on walks through the mountains because that's where the palace was. It was up high on some mountains. And as she was walking this one day, picking wildflowers and playing, just enjoying her life, One of the slippers fell off of her foot and fell down, down, down this steep hill and slope. And, you know, immediately some of her ladies and waiting, her attendants, those people, like they ran off to go and try and find the shoe. Obviously, it's a very, very expensive shoe. But yeah, even with how shiny 
it would have been, how much it would have stuck out, uh, they couldn't find it anywhere. And pretty soon, Sotawa Bay told them, like, you know what? It's it's fine. You've, you've looked. You've given it a try. We're not going to find it. Let's head off. And so when she got home and told her father what, was ha- what had happened, he was like, oh, oh, man. I mean... It's a really, really expensive shoe. It's a really nice shoe. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to tell anybody, hey, if you find the shoe, if you bring it back, you'll get a reward, which in my head, I'm like, the shoe is the reward. You know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. it's a, it's made out of gold and jewels. It's like the reward going to be more than the gold and jewels of the shoe? Yeah, because then at that point, it's like, if you're going to be giving as a reward more than the shoe is worth, then why don't you just get another shoe made? We get sentimental value. I don't know. That's true. If it's sentimental Maybe. value, because like it's, it was a gift from him to his daughter and it matters. Yeah. Okay. Sentimental value. I'll give you that. I will give you that. If that's the reason that, that, that makes sense. Uh, here's the, here's the, also the other thing, really, here's the real thing. And it's like how rewards work, you know, in the real world, the reward is going to be less valuable than the thing that the reward is being posted for. Mm. But, if you have the shoe and it's not yours, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. someone comes across it and you have that shoe, then it's like you could be in trouble, like maybe stealing, like if you did steal it or whatever, you know, and like not returning it, not doing the right thing. That doesn't look good on you. But this is a way that you get monetary reward and like be in the clear. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, yeah, you don't get as much money as this gold shoe is worth, but you get money or whatever yeah. in return. They get their more valuable thing back. You get something of value even though it's less value, but yeah. it's like, you know, more honestly gotten. Yeah. And, and you, you know, you everything's kind of fair. You did yeah. the right thing. You're a moral person. Yeah. So it makes sense. Anyway. So he sent out a message throughout the land, you know, hey, if anybody finds this shoe, bring it back. There'll be a reward. All right. So time went on. And this isn't in the story, but but for the next part to make sense, this is what I've decided. Because in my mind, I was like, how did shoe, how did the shoe? Fall off her foot in one area. Fell, it came off of her foot, went down a hill. That I understand. Right. That's how gravity works. That's how gravity works. But it ends up being found very, very, very far away from there by this other guy, a Raja in another land. So this is the part that's not in the story. It's in my head. Mm-hmm. A crow <laughs> finds the shoe, <laughs> not knowing about the reward because it is, in fact, a crow. Right. It grabs the shoe and picks it up and it takes it to a different location because it wants the shoe. The shoe is shiny. I don't know if we've established this. So now the crow, it has possession of the shoe. Well, Mm -hmm. some other crows see it, become jealous. There's a feud. There's a fight. Now they have to (laughs) take the shoe. Then they have to hide the shoe. Where are they going to hide the shoe? There are squabbles. There are fights in the air. Wars are fought for this shoe. Crow families live and die by the shoe. (laughs) Until finally, all the crows in the land, for the sake of this one shoe, have decimated all the crows in the land. And the last crow dies, badly hurt in battle, clutching this shoe that it had fought and died for. It's quite the headcanon you've uh, established there. <laughs> I'm down. I love it. Anyway, so this one day, there's this Raja who was many lands further out away from 
the mountain palace and Raja that lived like up on the mountain. So he's walking along and he looks down and he sees this golden slipper lying next to a dead crow. <laughs> Again, the, the dead crow is not in the story, right? <laughs> That'd be so funny if like in the story it was just laying next to it's a just dead like a crow. random dead crow. It's like it's not explained why it's next to a dead crow. <laughs> it's like left for you to figure out. But it's no, not yeah, a hard but... puzzle to piece together. Well, or maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe I only think that because you pieced it together for me just yeah, moments before. Because no, like in my head, I seriously was like, how did the shoe get from it fell off her foot over in those bushes to now it's leagues and leagues away? Yeah. Because it's like a person, I don't, you know, like would they, they wouldn't just like get rid of it. Like they understand the value of it beyond shiny, you know? Yeah. Anyway. It got stuck on the back of a porcupine that then carried it until it was able to scrape it off of a bush. And then that was grabbed by a badger and thrown at loud neighbors that were bothering the badger. (laughs) And then, (laughs) I'm sorry, uh, my headcanon, it goes on. But anyway, this guy, he finds the shoe. And he, and because it said, which had tumbled all the way from the mountainside into the depths of the forest. I'm like, that's... Quite the tumble. It's quite the tumble. So he, you know, not wanting to leave it behind, it was an expensive looking shoe. He picks it up, takes it home with him. And when he gets home, he shows his mother this shoe. And he's like, look, what a fairy foot must have worn this tiny slipper. Which again, I'm like, it's very similar. Like in Cinderella, like in a lot of the tales, kind of what it goes back to is this idea that like the foot but she has like an abnormally small, delicate, dainty foot. In others, it's a magic shoe that like shrinks or whatever, right. like, yeah, to adjust for like the person. And so it's just interesting that it's like, what a fairy foot must have worn this tiny slipper. And his mother was like, oh, I would hope that this shoe belongs to a very rich princess, because even though you are a Raja, you have no money. <laughs> well it isn't his lucky day and so she was like maybe you should try to figure out what princess this belongs to and return it to her so that you can help out with some of the money issues and he was like huh maybe but you know who who would this be and so they sent out a message to kingdoms around to see if anybody was missing a shoe which again tells me that like that shoe tumbled quite away right if they were unaware of the reward that was being offered in the other kingdom for finding like that shoe, it's like, dude, the shoe, the shoe's gone. The shoe's traveled. Yeah, the, the shoe, shoe went way far. The shoe went so far away. They're lucky that somebody who had the means to ask around. Yeah, to like inquire yeah, about it. Were the ones that found it. It was fated to be. Mm, I, I do say you're correct. Mm-hmm. So they send out this message around. And pretty soon somebody comes back with a message saying, oh, yes, the Raja who lives at the top of the mountain, his daughter lost a shoe when she was walking around. You should go and return it. Apparently there's some kind of award that's attached to the shoe. And so the mother was like, oh, you know what? Yes, absolutely. Son, go and. When he offers you a reward, say that you don't want silver and gold as a reward. You don't even want land because we got that. Ask him to give you a daughter to marry. That's what would be useful to us because like we're poor. It would help us if his wealth was our wealth by us marrying the daughter. So ask for that. 
What he does not know is that. Yeah. What he does not know is that the Raja is not up for giving that out. He's already said like, that's not something I'm willing to give. So anyway, the prince does exactly what his mom advises. And he goes to talk to Sotawa Bey's father. So he gives him the slippers like, hey, I found your daughter's slipper. And I heard that there was a reward. And the Raja was like, oh, yeah, no problem. Do you want horses? Do you want silver, gold? I have some jewels. Like, what What are you thinking about? And the prince was like, no, none of that is really, like, important to me. I'm the son of a Raja that lives down in the plains. And, you know, I, I had been out hunting when I, like, found this. And, you know, I traveled kind of a long way to bring this back to you. It's kind of, it's kind of been a big trouble for me, personally. But this... I think we can all settle this if you just give me your daughter's hand in marriage. I I would love to be your son-in-law. And the Raja was like, yeah, so that's not something that I can promise you. I've already told my daughter that I will not marry her against her will. So you, if you, if you want to marry her, I mean, that's cool, whatever. But you are going to need to talk to her about whether or not she wants that. What the... Raja did not know that was that Sodawa Bay had already seen the prince from her window mm. and was already thinking, now that's someone I want to marry. So love at first sight, yo. It all worked out. I thought he was she was gonna put him through some trials because we've seen some Yeah. You know, I wouldn't want to marry a princess unless she put me through an elaborate you know, series of trials before I could win her hand. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. If she's like just if she's too it shows eager. The type of, <laughs> What is that? Well, I mean, it's What's not, that say? It's not even that. It's like she's just fun, you know, likes likes games, <laughs> likes to have a good time. But yeah, you you want somebody uh, who is going to make things a little lively, a little fun for you. Yeah. I get that. But no, this princess, she just saw a dude and was like, yeah, like that. And so she told her dad, I already saw him. I approve of the marriage. Let's make this thing happen. And with much pomp and circumstance, they were married. What's funny is that, like, so a lot of the other Rajas who had, like, offered themselves to, like, marry her over the years. <laughs> They're like, what the heck, dude? Yeah. Like, they were like, what? Because he was poorer. So yeah. He was poorer than, like, all the rest of them. But it's like, here's the thing. That doesn't matter to her. She, they have a lot of money. She cries money. You know what I mean? Yeah. She doesn't she doesn't need to marry someone for their money. Yeah. Every time she speaks, money is like coming out of her. So like she didn't care. Yeah. Why would that affect her at all? So yeah, she's like, I don't care. But what I think is also funny is some of them were like, he's not so much more handsome. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he is more handsome, but not, but not, not that much. Not, not so like, much more. Not so much more handsome than me. That, that makes up for the fact that he's so poor. Like, Blake Lively, why are you married to Ryan Reynolds? He's not that more handsome than me. I was imagining okay. you saying that. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> Jeff's like, I would never say that. I would never say that Ryan Reynolds is only not so much more handsome than me. <laughs> he's wildly more handsome. Yeah. I wouldn't say he's wildly more handsome than you. I would. You're a very handsome man. Oh, well, thanks. So, yeah, I just love that they're like, this is the most foolish marriage. But nonetheless, they came from all around so that they could also be entertained at the palace and enjoy the festivities. What I 
what I love about that is like the kind of like role reversal of like in so many stories where you think about like ladies coming like like the stepsisters coming to yeah. the wedding and being like, uh, why did the prince choose her when we are so much better? And instead it's like, you've got all these Rajas that are like, he's not so hot. I have more yeah. money. Why didn't she want me? Uh, this is stupid. Also, I love this cake. I'm going to be here all day, <laughs> ladies. I also thought it was interesting that the other reversal is like, usually, you know, it's like Cinderella. She's like poor, like their, their family had money before, but like they'd lost it all. And yeah. like, you know, like her stepmom's like so bitter about it. And it's like, you know, Cinderella goes from like not only being like mistreated, but also like not having a lot of money to like marrying a rich prince. And it's like, oh, now she's like rich and she gets the the guy. But it's like in this situation, it's like that's reversed too, where it's the the prince is poor. He's gonna become richer by marrying yeah. you know, this princess rather than it's like just, you know, kind of puts another more interesting like twist on it of like, you know, it's like, she's not, she's not marrying this guy just because he's like exactly what these guys are saying. He's not a super rich prince. I hope she's not marrying him just because he's handsome either. Cause you know, I don't think that's kind of the message that we want to be getting across, <laughs> but, but you know, whatever. Like ladies, when you have the money to support your own dang self, you can pick just whatever hottie bimbo you want to marry. That's yeah. the message of our podcast. Yep. Ma ladies, oh man, what, is it Eartha Kitt? There's like some just absolute iconic woman, I want to say it's Eartha Kitt, who at some point somebody, like they said like, oh, my mother wanted me to marry like a rich man. Oh, it might've been Dolly Parton. Somebody like that, that their, their mother had been like, oh, when are you going to settle down and marry a rich man? And they're like, mama, I am a rich man. <laughs> That sounds like something Eartha Kitt and Dolly Parton would say. Yeah, because I just love like when oh, there's like an interview with like Eartha Kitt when they're just like saying like, well, aren't you scared that you're going to intimidate men? And she like laughs like full cackles. And she was like, I'm not worried. I know I am. And it's like, yes, queen. Yes. She's just She's like the bomb. Like, am I worried that I intimidate men? No, never. Not a day of my life is spent worrying that I intimidate men. I know I intimidate men and good because maybe it'll get them to stay the heck away. And I'm like, love it. Love that energy. I want that for every single woman. Yeah. So after Sotowa Bay and her husband had lived in her kingdom up on the mountain for a little bit of time, he went to the Raja and he said, hey, I need to go back to my own people and return to my own country. Just, I want your blessing to like take her like home with me. And the Raja was like, oh, absolutely. I understand. Obviously you have to get back to like your own kingdom, your own people. Please take care of my daughter. Treat her the best that you can treat her, the kindest care, watch over her. And also something that you need to know is the golden necklace that is around her neck. Never, ever take it off. Which at this point in the story, I like when I was like reading it, I was like, oh my gosh, I'd forgotten. Like yeah. about the necklace, like uh, at the beginning. I had to. I'd forgotten that like the story starts off being like a baby was born 
And she has this necklace With that contains necklace. her soul in it. I had completely forgotten because I was so like bought into like the Cinderella portion of the tale that I was like, oh yeah, like oh I know how this story is flowing. Completely chucked out that information that I got at the beginning. My brain was like, I don't need this, and it was like, <laughs> you do now. So the king is reminding all of us. <laughs> all of us are at the same exact point as this Raja here, like this guy that's finding out this information. It's brand new um, because. I forgot it from the beginning when I was reading it uh, before. Yeah. Which I mean, I did too. So it goes to say. No. Yeah. I figured most of the audience at this point would have forgotten about it as well, because if it happened to me, if it happened to you, it probably happens to all. <laughs> Just kidding. Maybe everybody remembered it really well. Their brains like, are How did you guys not remember that? Yeah. That, that was, it was like, that's an insane detail. Yeah. They're like, that was like only 30 minutes ago that you told us that. <laughs> I know it's been forever. It was longer for us because well, we get off track quite often. It's true. And if you're listening to this episode on like two times speed, then it seemed like an even shorter duration of time. <laughs> That's true. Anyway, so he's like, don't let her take this necklace off of her. Or, or don't let her. Or don't do it because she's not going to. She yeah. knows about the necklace. It's hers. She's well aware. It's her belonging. It's her soul. But yeah, so he's like, life. he's like, please. Don't ever take this off of her. Be aware of it. And the guy was like, oh, of course. Yeah, I'm going to take really, really good care of her. No problem. So when they went to leave, the Raja sent them off in style with elephants, horses, camels, attendants, jewels innumerable, a lot of money, wall hangings, clothes, carpets. I'm like, this is quite an extravagant list. I love it. Fine leather goods. Fine leather goods. (laughs) That's one of my favorite callbacks that we keep like making or references that we like uh, keep anytime they list like a, just a whole b- bunch of decadent stuff where it's like fine leather goods, treat yourself. So anyway, when they returned to the kingdom, the the Raja's mother, she was so happy to see her son again and meet his new bride. The only person who was unhappy to see Sodawa Bay was the Raja's first wife. Oh, what? Secret wife this whole time. Can you imagine? I've been keeping this from all of you, this whole story. Yeah, I can't believe you would. Surprise, this is a polygamy, Snow White, Cinderella (laughs) mix story. Oh my gosh. We're bringing back all the good stuff. Do you know what's funny is that last year when we did African Cinderella Tales, There was also that element of polygamy. And if people remember, one of my little niche obsessions is stories of polygamy that involve favored wives versus unfavored wives and like how they're portrayed. Because usually favorite wives, they are either evil and conniving or they're the sweetest, kindest person. And why is everybody always so mean to them? Clearly, this man fell in love with her because she has all these wonderful, wonderful qualities. Or the opposite is true, where the favorite wife is the one that's just sneaky and conniving. And I find that fascinating. But anyway, I'm glad I could have this secret wife (laughs) mic drop where I'm like, ha, ha, ha. Anyway, so Roji, which is the Raja's name, we find out at this point in the story, too. Not only does he have a secret wife, he has a name. He also has a name. (laughs) 
they're like, hey, now that we, you found out that he has a secret wife, we need to humanize him a little bit and give him a name so you're not so pissed at him. <laughs> yeah. So Roji, the Raja, he had apparently been married to this wife back when he had been a child and she had been a child. So this had been his first mm. wife was one where it was supposed to be this like political like alliance like situation. And so, you know, he's like not as attached to her is how they're playing, like, you know, justifying yeah. it. And here's the thing with like those polygamist favored wives, unfavored wives like story is that in a polygamous system, a woman would both want to be the favorite wife. And so there are these stories where, you know, the favorite wife is the one that has a romance with this man where like the mm -hmm. other, the other women were married to him because for political reasons, for like family connection reasons, for all of these like other things. But the favorite wife is the one that he fell in love with. Mm. And because they fell in love with each other, it's justified that they're the favorite wife because it's this love story. Right. As opposed to like, then there's also in these polygamous systems stories where the favorite wife is this evil conniving person, because everybody knows in a polygamous system that sometimes you're not the favorite wife. And so it's a little bit of when they retell the story and the favorite wife is like an evil person, it kind of, it it serves a purpose in that community culture as well. The the story right. does because it gives kind of an outlet for like, oh, she's the favorite because I'm not the favorite because this other lady is conniving. Right. And it's like, you know, in a the more wives there are, the more the fewer favored wives there are yeah. in relation to favored wives. So it's like, I don't know, maybe, maybe that has something to do with that. Yeah. It changes how how the stories are viewed, which I find super fascinating. So the Raja's mother immediately preferred Sotawa Bay to the other daughter-in-law, which I thought, I'm like, not only is she probably this guy's favorite, like Raja's favorite wife, but also the mother-in-law's like, and I like her better too. Dude, I'd be salty. I'd be so salty if like my mother-in-law was like, oh, the other wife, I like her better. Like, okay, I'm already salty. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Whew, it's fine. I don't need to be mad about that. It's not happening today. <laughs> so not today. The first Rani, who is the Raja's like wife, could not stand this new woman. Um, it said, better loved by all around than she. Aww, mm. That's hard. And therefore, in her wicked heart, she hated Sotawabe. And so this is such an interesting twist now on the, the Snow White, because now the wife that's jealous, or the person that's jealous about this, like, other woman is mm -hmm. the other wife. When are, the other polygamist Snow White tales that we told, that wasn't the case. Yeah. The polygamist other wives were like, I totally understand how this would happen. But... It's interesting because it wasn't being like taking place in like a typical polygamous system. Yeah. Like a place where that was the norm. Yeah. It was like very much not, which was kind of part of the point. Yeah. Yeah. Which is very, very interesting. Like the differences. Yeah. So this Ronnie would pretend like she was cool with Sotawa Bay and like, oh, it's fine. I love her just as much as everybody loves her. We all love her. She's so great. Everything about her is so perfect, isn't it? I totally agree. 
<laughs> Yipes. So Sotowa Bay, never experiencing anybody uh, not liking her, which <laughs> pretty privilege much. No. <laughs> 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 Not ever experiencing, like, you know, people outwardly disliking her or whatever. She, you know, didn't notice any warning signs from the Rani and was just like, oh, this lady, she's acting like she likes me. So, of course, she likes me. Everybody likes me. It's, like, totally great. So she wasn't worried about this other lady at all. So one day, the Raja had to journey out of his kingdom and go like a long way and he was already sad because he wasn't going to be able to take Sotowa Bay with him on this journey that he had to take she was going to have to stay at home and so he you know he asked his mother hey keep an eye on her make sure that she's like okay and the mother was like of course I'll watch Sotowa Bay no problem and Ronnie his first wife was like me too I will take such good care of her everything's gonna be super great fantastic So once he was gone, Ronnie was like, wow, that's so hard for him to be so far away. But like, don't worry. Like, if you start to feel lonely, you can come and talk to me. You and I can hang out. You can come to me with like anything, like no problem. You can share all of your special little secrets with me. Uh-oh. Bay was like, oh my gosh, of course. I love this. Like, it's like we're sisters. Isn't it the best? And Ronnie was like, it's the best. <laughs> <laughs> So this one day, soon after, soon after the uh, Raja had left, Sotowa Bay, you know, was feeling a little lonely, missing the Raja. So she was like, you know, what? I'll go and visit Rodney. I'm sure she's lonely, too. Her and I can talk and hang out. And so she goes to hang out with uh, Rodney. And Rodney was like, hey, so I've always wondered, you have this, like, beautiful row of, like, golden beads around your neck, but you always wear the same ones. Like, you came here with so many, like, jewels and gold and silver and diamonds like why do you wear the same old necklace it's do not tell this woman yeah for real like girl keep some secrets especially if they're like you know self-preservation type secrets like okay keep your mouth shut yeah but it's like she doesn't have any reason to suspect this woman either yeah. and it's like oh no and you know like maybe in her head too she's thinking oh if this lady knows oh yeah though the reason that i don't take these off that i like always wear them is for this reason maybe you'll help you know, maybe she thinks in her head too. The more people that know, the safer I am because you'll, we'll all work together to keep me safe, right? Yeah. Because everybody in her Wrong, life has but... always worked together to keep her safe. Yeah. And it's like, girl, no, sorry. This lady does not like you. So yeah, so Dwabe was just immediately like, oh yeah, no, I was born with these beads around my my neck and like the astronomers and stuff, they, or the astrologers, they told my parents like that it contains my soul and that if I take it off, my soul will leave my body and I'll die. So I have to keep them on like at all time. So even though there are like lots of jewels and other pretty things, like I just have to wear this like plain set of like gold beads. Then that's just my thing. And... Ronnie was like, oh, that's so interesting. I love that for you. <laughs> that's the best. So immediately upon leaving that conversation, Ronnie was like, okay, I can't be the one that takes these off of her neck because then I like obviously will get caught for doing this. What I need is to get somebody else in trouble. <laughs> Like, I need to implicate somebody else in this. So she went to her favorite servant. Uh, she went to her favorite servant who was always interested in her happiness, which I thought was so interesting because, like, in the story, 
all of like the servants are so like, we love being servants and like, we love doing whatever makes our people happy. The people who are like basically in charge of like everything. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I love having my life controlled. It's the best. I wake up every day of my life and make soup. (laughs) It's the best. best. I get to sleep alone in my room every night. It's the best. But yeah, no, that's like really how they're painted is just like this like, oh no, I'll yeah. I what makes me happy is making you happy. <laughs> that's my personality. Anyway, that's a bit of critique from me. So anyway, Ronnie goes to her most trusted servant. So she picked a it says a most confidential servant who she knew to be trustworthy. <laughs> Who would do something sneaky for her? Right. But it's like, she's someone who's going to do something sneaky for you. Like, you you know, you can't be confident that they're not doing something sneaky for somebody else. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Yeah. That when it's like, oh, this person is really trustworthy. I can trust them to do something dishonest with me. And I'm like, yeah. then, mm, then already, you know, <laughs> there's no honor among thieves. Like, but yeah, just... But it's interesting that when someone's like, oh, I really value how this person is always nice to me, but mean to everybody else. And I'm like, hmm, well, but anyway. So Ronnie said, go this evening to Sotoa Bay's room and take her necklace while she is asleep and then return it to me. And then she like explained to the lady, like, like it contains her soul. So it'll like kill her, but it's totally fine. And the lady's like, okay, no problem. And what I loved was like, it was like she agreed to do what she was told, for she had long known that her mistress hated Sotobe. <laughs> it's like, of course, because you know, she could probably only keep up that like kind of secret for you know, because it's like you're masking in public, being like, Oh my gosh, I love you, girl. That's so great. <laughs> That's fantastic. And then you get home and you're like, Ugh. like, what's wrong? And like, I hate that lady. <laughs> so anyway, this lady was like, No problem. I love to make you happy. So if Killing this woman makes you happy, then I'll do it. Yikes. Um, so she went into um, Sotoa Bay's room and stole the golden necklace, and she quickly fastened it around her own necklace and crept away. And at the moment that she took off the necklace, Sotoa Bay's spirit fled, which I'm like, that's mm. so... It's, it's such interesting language when like in some cultures, and I don't know if this is the case in like this one, the idea of like the soul leaving the body and even some points when you're alive you can have that soul loss or like parts of your Uh soul can like leave and come back some can journey into so it's just an interesting way that they said it i don't know what it reflects specifically in this case but i just thought the language was interesting that it was like her spirit fled yeah and in this case with what we know about how her necklace works it would appear that she has given up the ghost (laughs) That was, that, that was kind of forced. <laughs> I had to do it. So the next morning, the Raja's mother went to go check on her favorite daughter-in-law. And she knocked on the door. And there was no answer. And she knocked on the door again. And there's no answer. And so she opens up the door. And she finds her daughter-in-law cold as marble. And quite mm. dead. As opposed to like a little dead. She was quite dead. <laughs> And, you know, obviously it was a shock to her. She had seemed fine the day before. Everything's fine. And she was like, oh, no, my son is going to be devastated when he gets home. 
And so they even asked the attendants that slept outside of her door if they had seen anything, which I'm like, dude, how was that lady able to like sneak, sneak, sneak? She knew. She knows the palace. She knows her stuff. But I was like, there were attendants outside the door. And they didn't notice this like lady like go into the room. It's fine. I mean, it's not fine. They needed to do a better job watching that door. But anyway, yeah. so they were like, we didn't hear a sound. We didn't see anyone come like near. We don't know what could have happened. And they're, you know, just obviously like devastated. So even though, you know, they were grieving and they were mourning and they were like, oh, well, we don't want to bury her underground because we want to wait for her husband to come home to see her before like any action gets taken. So what we're going to do is we're going to build this like mm. beautiful glass yeah, coffin <laughs> where it's like we're going to build this like beautiful tomb that's like out in the forest so like out in the forest far far like away from like kind of like the house and stuff they're going to build this like big room this big like tomb where she's going to be housed and so they put her in that and they were going and visiting her daily and looking at her and she wasn't decomposing she wasn't rotting like she was staying fresh and beautiful like in any snow white story fresh and beautiful and it was like oh like she's so lovely she looks you know just as beautiful as like the day that she died so fairly soon after this her husband he returned home from where he had been and she still looked so beautiful and lovely like just that she looked just like she did on the day that he had ridden off and left and he was just absolutely devastated because, you know, she looked so alive, fresh color on her cheeks and her lips, and it seemed as if she were only asleep, but she was cold to the touch, definitely dead. And so even though he had gotten home, he still did not want to bury her. He just wanted to leave her in her tomb and visit it every single day so that he could look at her. It says like every day he would go and he would say like, I just want to take one last look at her face and then tomorrow will bury her. But every day he wouldn't decide, which reminded me of so many of like the stories where it's like they put them in like a room and then they would go into the room every single day and like cry and cry and then like leave looking even Mm. sadder than they had going in. And it's like, oh, man, like you're torturing yourself. And so like even his parents, they were trying to like stop him from like going down to the tomb because they were worried that it would like drive him insane or that he would want to die. And so they were getting really, really concerned because he was going like every single day. Meanwhile, the servant who had stolen the necklace had been just instructed by Ronnie to just keep wearing it. Or or to keep it, to keep it like with her because she didn't want to get caught with it. So she told her servant to just, she would keep it. And so the servant was like, well, I'm going to keep wearing this like every day. It looks good on me. I'm a servant. I don't have gold necklace. Like I'm going to keep wearing this. Like this looks good on me. But at night she would set it down next to her bed and go to sleep. And so at night when she would take off the necklace, Sodawa Bay's spirit would return to her and she would wake up in the tomb, which mm. I'm like, that is terrifying. And yeah, it says in the story, like at first she thought she had been put in prison, but mm. then she realized that like she wasn't locked into the tomb. She could like leave. But because she was in the middle of the jungle and didn't know where she was and it was nighttime, uh. she didn't want to go anywhere because what if she got attacked by a tiger like 
any wild yeah. dogs. Like, I don't know. She just was like, oh, it's not safe for me to like leave here. And she doesn't know like where to head. Yeah. Like which direction to, get back to go. To anywhere. Yeah. It's nighttime. And so like every day she would wake up and she would say to herself, okay, when, when the sun comes up, I'll get my bearings and I'll start heading in the direction that I need to go. And every day when she would think that to herself in the morning, when the sun came up, the uh, servant would wake up probably a little bit before the sun came up so she could get to work and she'd put on the necklace and immediately Sotoabe's soul would flee from her again. She would go back to being her same dead self. And so then once she was back to being her old dead self, the Raja would show up so that he could sit there and cry and cry and cry because he's dead. And then he would leave. But weird situation going on that he noticed is that sometimes when he would get there in the morning over by where the where this like well was nearby where she was getting water all around there there were jewels and gold and he was like who's leaving this here and it's because she was talking like to like her reflection <laughs> gold and jewels would like come out of her mouth while she was like talking about like her sadness and stuff. Yeah. And so he was looking at those and he was like, where are those coming from? And every day he would like stand around waiting and like looking to see if anybody who showed up. Cause he's like, somebody else has to be showing up. Who could this be? That would be showing up. And so this one day he decided, you know what? I'm going to start showing up. I'm going to start showing up at night so I can figure out if somebody is coming at night and leaving these jewels here. And the day that he decided to do that, was the day that Sotowa Bay, during the day, gave birth while she was asleep to a little baby. And so this mm. baby was born and immediately like started crying, but like nobody was there that day to hear this baby crying like inside of the tomb. But don't worry, Jeff, I can see you're worried. The baby's going to be fine. Because pretty soon night fell and the servant took off her necklace and Sotowa Bay woke up and found her baby and scooped up her baby and was walking outside to go and stand by the well. And as she was holding her baby, cradling her baby, walking out to the well, she was singing songs to her brand new baby and jewels were falling out from her mouth as the Raja showed up. And at first he thought he was seeing some kind of like Perry ghost, like something. He mm. thought something. He was like, oh my gosh, like, what is that? And then he like heard the voice. And saw like the jewels falling like from her mouth and he knew immediately who it was. But she saw him, didn't know who he was coming to get her. So she like ran into the tomb and like blocked her and her baby in so that they were safe. <laughs> but don't worry, Jeff, because he when he said her name out loud and called to her, she knew that it was the Raja. And so she answered back to him. So they had a conversation and were like, what's going on? Like, why are you doing this? Uh, like. Why are you dead? Why are you doing this death thing? <laughs> and she explained like, oh, no, like I'm missing my necklace. While you were away, somebody came and stole my necklace. And that was the first time that the Raja like looked down at her and realized, oh, my gosh, yeah, your necklace has been missing like this entire time. I should have looked. I should have seen that like ahead of time. And so he told her, don't worry, stay here and I will go and find who it is that has stolen your necklace. And so he gets home that day, you know, like after night, 
when she falls down dead again. It doesn't say he took the baby with him. I feel like that would <laughs> yeah. be a responsible thing. You'd think. Personally, myself. Yeah, that he'd be like, I'm going to take this baby. I mean, I understand, like, wait, he's just going to show up at the palace. He left during the night, shows up in the morning just holding a random baby. And he's like, it's fine. I haven't gone crazy. You're the crazy one. <laughs> But yeah, it's just one of those things where like as as a mom, I'm just like, so who has the who is watching the baby? You sleep when the baby sleeps <laughs> is what what they say. Anyway, so he goes back to like his house in the morning and he calls for every single person in the entire household to line up for inspection. So everybody comes out and like lines up. And so he's walking, looking, looking, looking to see if anybody has the necklace. And pretty soon he sees the servant wearing the necklace. And he was like, why did you take this? He like rips it off of her and is like, why did you take this? And of course the servant was like, oh, I'm a trustworthy person. I'm not going to tell you any secrets. Psych. No, she didn't. She was like, oh, I'll tell you exactly who told me to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to flip so fast. She like immediately was just like, oh no, the first Ronnie, like she ordered me to do this. She told me to take this. She told me it contained her soul and that I needed to take it off of her because she wanted her to die. And she's the one who did it and you should get her. And so, yeah, immediately he was like, you know what? Yeah, lock her up too. And so they imprisoned them for life. And then he walked back to the tomb with his mother and placed the lost beads around Sotawani's neck. And it brought her back to life and he took her and his child back to the palace. And there was great rejoicing in the kingdom and they all as a family lived in health and happiness. The end. Yay! So I absolutely love just the diversity of these tales. I love the diversity of these tales. I love that we've been able to tell so many. And I'm super duper looking forward to telling many, many more wonderful tales. Here's to 100 more. Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you enjoy what we're doing, please leave us a review or share us with your friends. Also consider supporting us on Patreon for access to exclusive bonus content, including outtakes and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash thefairytellers. Special thanks to Andrew Foray for our music and to Clarice Inge for our artwork. And of course, a big thank you to all our patrons. Without all of you, this show wouldn't be possible. Fairy tales are always more interesting when something is added to them. Each new telling recharges the narrative, making it crackle and hiss with cultural energy. Maria Tatar Oh yeah! One thing that I didn't mention, and I'm, I, it's not going to end up being in our list of like standout episodes, the devil. Yes, we didn't even we didn't even give a sh one single shout out to the devil. <laughs> we didn't even give one single shout out to the devil. Surprising. But what were you really going to oh, say? Oh, the Christmas Eve episode from last year that was from the Ukraine mm. that was the one with like Solika and the devil and like all the bags and stuff. That is seriously, I keep thinking about that episode. That story of like 
the That's devil. awesome. This is really putting me in the mood for Christmas. <laughs> Nothing gets me in the mood for Christmas like the devil. I stand by it. Anyway, where were we before I my brain wandered off? I, I don't know. My brain wandered on with you.